Welcome to the Command Post Podcast, powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, First Do's Director of Training. I am pleased to welcome Fire Service Leader Randy Brugman to the podcast today. Chief Brugman has spent over 40 years in the emergency services, 27 as Fire Chief. He is a noted author and lecturer on such topics as leadership, managing change, innovation, and the future of the profession. He is a past president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs and the Center for Public Safety Excellence. He is also CFO Emeritus and is a fellow of the Institution of Fire Engineers and a certified chief fire officer through the California State Fire Marshal's Office. He has an associate's degree in fire science, a bachelor's in business, and a master's degree in management. He is also the founder and host of a new podcast, The Leadership Crucible. I'm grateful to have Chief Randy Brugman on the podcast today. Let's get it started. Randy Brugman, welcome to the Command Post Podcast. It's always good to reconnect with you. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, good, to, good to be with you. Well, I know you are uh, have a lifelong passion, both for personal and professional excellence, and we're going we're gonna to get into that in a little bit. Um, a little bit later and, and go, go deeper into what professionalism means, both personally, professionally, and also when it comes to organizations. But kind of share with our listeners and our viewers your path of excellence um, in the fire service over your multiple decades um, serving multiple communities. Well, I like like probably many, many firefighters, so I don't think that, that we, we started out uh, in our journey, thinking that that's where we were going to end up. Uh, and that's the, that's the way it was with me. I was working in construction and, and, uh, was living in a small town in Nebraska. My brother-in-law, you know, uh, said we need help on the, on, on the local fire department and, uh, you're in pretty good shape. You're young. You need to come help out. <laughs> and, uh, that wasn't even on my radar, but I did. Uh, and after about a year, I just really found that uh, it, it, I just loved it, and it was a, it just really became a passion. So, you know, I started to do a little research and, and found that there were actually people that got paid to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of helps. And I right? said, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue this because uh, I really really was falling in love with the you know, just the, the job and, uh, and, and just being out in the field and doing things. So that's kind of how I got started. It was, uh, it was really, really by accident. And, um, and so I started searching around, took some tests and ended up uh, being hired in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is now the Pooter Fire Authority. And, uh, and went up through the ranks there, uh, in about uh, 13 years, went to battalion chief, and uh, went on to uh, then started my career as, as fire chief. And so went through five different organizations over uh, 27 years, ending up in the city of Anaheim. Right. Uh, and uh, left there out after uh, a little over eight, almost eight and a half years. And uh, so, but I was in Fresno prior to that and Clackamas County and Hoffman Estates, Illinois and Campbell, California as chief. And you know, all were uh, offered uh, unique opportunities, unique challenges, and an excellent learning experience in each in each menu. And so, it's just been quite a journey for me. And along the way, have been involved in um, things like uh, being the uh, IFC president uh, in 2002 and 2003. So, you know, that that journey was started in. 
you know, the early, uh, actually mid eighties, uh, when I met Ron Coleman, uh, right. And Ron kind of engaged me in the accreditation process, uh, early on. So I was one of the, what were called the four horsemen at the time, Ron and I, and <clears throat> Ray Picard and Charlie rule. Uh, you know, we were kind of the, the core team that led this development process that actually, came to uh, be the uh, Commission on Fire Accreditation International. And so that took about 12, uh, 12 years uh, from the time that that started until it actually became a reality. And, uh, you know, then went on to be the first commission chair. And uh, then I was elected to the IFC and I had to step away. And then I came back as the board chair from 2004 to 2017. Uh, and so was very involved with that and uh, with the credentialing uh, uh, process when we launched that uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, so, yeah, it's been uh, a really fun journey and, you know, I've written, uh, written some text along the way and done a lot of speaking and uh, still, you know, today I'm, I'm pretty engaged in, you know, several projects. So that's a, that's a, um, an amazing career. And, uh, you know, and I know you're very, you have, you have a strong, not only a strong sense of professionalism, but also a, a, a humility about you as well. And I know you, you know, they, they named an award, if I'm not mistaken, after you at the Center for Public Safety Excellence, maybe share a little bit about that. And I know you shared with me a challenge coin as well. Talk, talk just a little bit about that before we get into some other things. Yeah, that was, uh, that was very humbling. The, the board uh, uh, created the uh, Bergman Innovation Award, uh, you know, under the CPSC or for the CPSC. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad they called it the Innovation Award because I think that's, you know, part of what my focus has always been is how do we innovate our profession uh, to make sure we st- re- remain relevant in the future. Uh, and so... Nice. I think that's extremely important. So I was very, uh, very proud that they did that, very humbled that they did that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, when they, when they told, told me that at a, at a board dinner, I was, uh, it was pretty overwhelming. No, that's, a, that's quite the honor. What, uh, looking back um, over your multiple decades, serving, you know, communities, being leaders of organizations that serve communities, is there any one or more things, accomplishments, or things that have that stand out that you're especially that's especially memorable. You're especially proud of something where you felt you made, um, you know, a tremendous difference that just kind of lingers in your mind as you, you know, enjoy semi-retirement. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think one of the things in every organization that uh, that we undertook, and this is probably an outgrowth of just being involved in the accreditation process, was a real focus on strategic planning and looking at uh, how to, uh, you know, I always looked at and and talked about uh, in in the organizations that I led that we need to position the organization today to be successful and sustainable in the future. So how do we do that? And it's not looking at a, at a one-year plan. It's not looking at a five-year plan. It really is looking at, you know, what is, what is emerging today uh, in our in our profession that's going to impact our organizations in the future, and we need to be prepared uh, to be adaptable uh, so that we can be successful. And a lot of times we're pretty myopic pr- profession. Uh, um, you know, we look at 
you know, how many trucks we bought this year to get a fire station, how many people that we, we have. We don't do long range financial planning. We're not looking at it. What, what's the emerging trends, not only in our profession, but in society in general that will impact uh, our profession, uh, whether that's in service demands, economics, whatever. And so, you know, part of the challenge in strategic planning is the beginning to plant those seeds, not only uh, with the community about things that the organization is going to need to have to do or, or need, but it's also about planting the seeds with your own staff to begin thinking about and thinking differently about what what uh, the future may hold and what they're going to have to do and may how, how they may have to change uh, right. uh, to actually adapt to what's coming. So. I think that, I mean, in every organization, I just had a, a chief call me the other day who left a department that I uh, ran 25 years ago. <clears throat> and he said, it finally happened. They finally saw the vision. <laughs> oh, geez. And, uh, you know, some departments, it takes a long time. I mean, it takes people retiring and it just, but, but that seed is still there. I mean, it's now, you know, uh, probably a small tree, if you will, but it's uh, it's taken root and it's finally uh, coming up. And so well, they, didn't, they didn't forget about it. And that's the thing that's, I know, strategic planning, even in my department years and years ago, sometimes it becomes a formality. And then you, do you go back? How did you how did you ensure that it was, I guess, a living document? I don't know if that's the right phrase, but a document that just wasn't something to check a box to say, OK, we're satisfying a city council or a fire district board that we've got a strategic mm -hmm. plan, but that it was something that you went back to and actually used and followed in subsequent months and years after it was created what how did you ensure that that happened what was the key there well for me and it, and it was it, it was it was part of it just how i ran the organizations that i i led but it's also just part of really being engaged in, and focused on what you just talked about and uh, we would roll everything down or i would roll everything down i actually made a uh like a project chart uh, from, from everything that was in the strategic plan. And those were signed out, of course, between the different divisions and different people uh, in the organization. And then we, I would meet uh, monthly and we would go through every one of those. So where are you at on your project? Uh, because if you're not talking about it and keeping focus on it, it's really easy. Uh, I don't care who you are and how committed you are. It's really easy to forget about it. I mean, because you're dealing with, we deal with so much, so much on the emergency side every day. You never know what's going to come up or as a chief or, or senior level manager, getting calls from different departments and city council members and mayors and you know, elected officials uh, throughout the, you know, the community and our community leaders. And so you can get very easily distracted on very on much. So. And then you forget about it. And then all of a sudden it's two months down the road and nothing's happened. So just keeping a real focus and an eye on, you know, all of those action items that came out of your strategic plan, that's your work plan and you have to build a work plan however you do it uh, as a leader in your organization you have to build a work plan and actually focus on that each and every month or it's not going to get done no it's it, like you said it'll die on the vine basically yeah all that work went into it and yet you're not you're not really pursuing it because of all the day-to-day -day mission mission driven things you have to do day-to-day -day, but this also is part of the mission is driving the organization into the future 
Um, and that's that's the hard work of, of of leadership and the strategic plan, you know, being that that's one of the things you're most proud of is also an element of excellence, right? And excellence is a word that's bandied about a lot, right? Excellence mm-hmm. this, excellence that. But share share with us your definition of what excellence is and why have you been drawn to it? Why does it matter so much to to you? Well, I think there's a lot of defini- definitions of excellence, but I think the, the in, the, in its simplest form, it's uh, from a leader's perspective, it's you leave it better than you found it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's multiple measurements of, of how you do that. Uh, but uh, why was I drawn to it? I think originally it was because of, of the work that I was doing uh, in the accreditation process. But at the same time, I was going through a graduate uh, program, uh, a master's program. So there was a lot of focus on on uh, uh, just performance on on that side as well. But, you know, in our accreditation process, a lot of what we were researching was not what was occurring in the U.S. It was what was occurring uh, internationally. And, you know, in Australia and, and England, especially England, they were years you know, probably a couple of decades ahead of us with our integrated uh, risk management programs uh, and how they were really focusing on uh, the excellence of minimizing um, fires uh, and minimizing risk to their communities. So that really was a focus. And then, of course, I had a couple of classes on the graduate side with uh, the W. Edward Deming's books were... uh, (laughs) We're part of the core curriculum, and you know, if you read anything from Deming and guys like Philip Crosby and Duran, all of those folks, the kind of some of the really early pioneers of of quality in the U.S., uh, you know, it just really brought to life that the you know you really have to focus on the root cause of you know what's occurring. in whatever you're doing, whether you're making widgets in a factory or you're responding. Uh, to emergencies, you really have to look at every aspect of what goes into that uh, and how that performance can be improved. So that's that's kind of how I got into the whole focus of you know excellence and in, in uh, not only how we run our organizations but excellence in our profession. So well, didn't um, I think wasn't Edward Deming's uh, W. Edward Deming's quote one of his quotes is in God we trust all others bring data. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, you know that's. We're going to jump into um, some challenges facing the fire service, but that that element of data right now, I know that's you're passionate about that as well. But talk talk a little bit about how uh, data plays a role in excellence, right? And a pretty key role in excellence, and how you've been able to use that in your career. Well, I mean, one of the things again, back to the accreditation process that we learned early on: if if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And uh, how do you measure it? And well, you measure it with data. And so the fire service is light years ahead of where it was uh, 20 years ago in, in data measurement. I mean, if we, you know, we complain today that we're not, you know, we're not there yet and we're not. Uh, there's there's much more coming and we can talk a little bit about that. But we are so much better today at being able to capture better data uh, than than we had in the past uh, and be able to analyze it to make better decisions. So 
you know, data uh, data is all about being able to measure every element of what you do in your organization. And it's not just about, I mean, we've, we've kind of really focused on what happens after the, the alarm goes off, right? In response those times. And the response times and all of those things. But there's there's thousands of other data points in your organization that you should be measuring. You know how well your inspectors, or how how well are your inspectors doing on their inspections. I mean how 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 reliable are there those inspections? Mm-hmm. You know, are they? Are, I mean, does your do you have an inspector that goes out and does the same, writes the same three violations every time, or or doesn't write any violations? I mean, there's thousands and thousands of ways to look at measurements. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I think that uh, the, the future of data is for the fire and emergency services, as we look to the future, uh, one of the things that's really, I think, intriguing is just think of all the new data points that are going to be available uh, to us, you know, from the wearables that we all have, right? And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, they measure, you know, what are, what our heart's doing and our blood pressure now and several other other things. And 10 years from now, you never know what they're going to measure. We're going to be able to capture that. That will be downloaded at some point to our 911 centers. And our buildings are going to become smarter, so we're going to be able to capture that information. And we have smart cars now, so we'll be able to capture that information. So, you know, 10 or 15, year, 10 or 15 years from now, before we ever launch a response, we're going to have a vast amount of uh, information and, and data to provide to the first responder that we can't access now. I've always said we're uh, in from the from the probationary firefighter on up to chief officer, we're data managers. At, we're all data managers at some level. Yeah. The probationary firefighter, it might be a small part of his job. The fire chief, like yourself, it's most of your job. But yeah. you are yeah. you are managing and analyzing data as as a core part of your job, You're not and not necessarily just in front of the computer crunching numbers necessarily, but using all of that information to make decisions, to develop strategic plans, to set goals. It's all driven by data. Oh, a- absolutely. And, you know, we, we spend minimal amount of time training our pr- people on data. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Even and writing so skills, which are part of that, right? The written, the written communication, that's part of, part of it too. You know, we don't join the fire service to become writers necessarily, yeah. but the contrast it with law enforcement and how commun- written communication is so critical in that environment. Um, it's, it, one could argue it's nearly as, as critical in our environment as well. Oh, absolutely. And we, and we need to start when we hire our, our people. I don't care whether they're firefighters or uh, anybody in your organization. I mean, there, there's got to be a focused effort, focused classes uh, on, and an, an effort to articulate organizationally that data is extremely important to us and this is our expectation of you uh, and right. and um, and we need to get to the same level that our paramedics are at organizationally organizational wide because from a paramedic standpoint um, you know they have to track everything that they do when they're in the field right everything that they do in that patient is tracked if it's not written down it didn't happen as they say yeah, and and it's and it's also it's also through quality assurance. It's also reviewed uh, many times by an outside review agency. So we don't do that on the fire side. We we come back on a fire call. We you know we, we came, uh, we kicked butt. You know we put it out. And, and you we know, saw we conquered. We came. We yeah, saw we yeah. conquered. 
you know, sometimes I'll, I'll you know, I, I would read a report on a two alarm fire and it was a paragraph and a half. Ooh. And you're, you know, and and I'm sure that, you know, so, some of the other aspects of the, the report were just pencil whip. We have to quit doing that. It's 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 actually a disservice to our profession. Sure. Uh, and I know at three o'clock in the morning when you've just gotten back and you've had eight calls or 12 calls or 15 calls, you don't want to spend time doing it. But at least before you go home, uh, you know, make sure that you fill out that report accurately because those data points are critical for quality measurement and quality measurement is what tells our story. Uh, and if we're, if we don't have quality data, we can't tell our story. And our start being able to effectively tell our story will determine the resources that are going to be allocated to us by those that control the purse strings within our community, whether it's mm -hmm. in city budgets, fire district budgets, volunteer communities, being able to tell that story has a direct correlation with the funding we get. It's not only the funding, but it's it's also, I think, our, our and I think this will become more pronounced in the future, how we're deploying our resources. Because our demands for service are changing. And so we're going to have to deploy differently in the future with probably different resources than we're, we're doing today uh, to continue to be effective and I think sustainable in the future. So, and how do we do that? We do that through good data, collecting good data and good data analytics, because it tells us, here's your problem. Here's what your problem is. I mean, we, you know, when we went to the advanced provider in Anaheim, one of the reasons why we did that is our EMS coordinator, Dave Barry, Captain Dave Barry at the time came in and sat down when they said, been reviewing all of our statistics. And he said, you know, 30, about 38% of our calls are low acuity calls. And uh, I said, you know, then we got into this whole discussion about, well, how do we approach this differently? Because on low acuity calls, you don't need four people, two paramedics on a big red truck probably showing up because all they're going to do is put you in the back of the box and take you to the hospital probably. Those low acuity calls, and this is just this is nationwide. I mean, sure there are many, many chiefs, and I'm sitting on a healthcare board uh, uh, right now uh, as a board of director, and it's a big issue uh, for the insurance side uh, because we're taking people to the hospital who don't need to go. And I know, so we I know those days. Yeah, so we we have to find better solutions, and data will tell us what those solutions some of those solutions should be. And uh, so I think that that's why data is so important. What, uh, there's more than three, but if you were to narrow down three of the, the biggest, the top three challenges facing the modern fire and medical services, and I lump medical services because data is showing, well, we know data doesn't have to tell us, we know intuitively, but data, data will back it up that we're running vast majority of our incidents are EMS. So you're seeing departments change their name to align with more of that mission. That's mm -hmm. always going to be the fire department because, you know, how we're strategically placed throughout the community for that uh, fire risk, but also for uh, medical responses. But those top, what are the top three, in your view, what are the top three challenges facing those types of public safety organizations across the country? I think the top three are uh, culture, uh, inclusiveness, and um, 
what we're going to be in the 21st century, or re-identification, if you will, uh, of what the services to look like. You know, the culture drives uh, culture in any organization. It's not the fire and emergency services, but culture really drives who you often become in any organization. And, uh, you know, the speed at which the 21st century is going to move, uh, and we and we know, uh, it's we're already living it. I mean, things are propelling very, very quickly in our environment today. And technology and data are two of the biggest drivers of that. And it's going to continue to speed up as we move farther into the 21st century. And our culture is not built that way. You know, our culture is built on tradition and, and you know, profession, uh, professional legacy, if you will. And those are good things. Uh, and it's, you know, and, and, I, and I embrace the heritage of what we have in our profession very much so. But I also understand that we have to develop a, a kind of a cultural DNA that we can adapt uh, quickly in the future. Uh, and we have to be willing to try things and fail forward uh, because in, in the fire service, uh, even though we are risk takers when it comes to when the alarm goes off, we're not risk takers when we come back to the firehouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we like things status quo. And so when you move the, you know, the cheese around a lot, mm. uh, it disrupts the, uh, disrupts the troops. Well, the reality is that's what's going to happen a lot as we move into farther into the century. So our culture has got to be built to, to, with people that can adapt and, and say, yeah, that's, I'm okay with that. And so, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just say, I don't, I don't think we're there right now, but I think we're going to have to culture, build it. Culture is a big deal. It's this kind of nebulous thing where, you know, how to define it. So if you were to say, you know, we stay on the, the topic of culture for a little bit before we get into like the services and then, you know, just the transition into the, you know, a fifth of the way through the 21st century already. Right. So what, culture define define kind of culture and also what's what are the things about our culture the fire service culture are in, in ems uh because that's what so many fire departments do now um but what what are the some of the defining characteristics of what culture is first of all and then um the positive aspects of the, our culture and you you mentioned some of those already but maybe expand a little bit on that and then what are what are what are elements within the culture that need to change so that we are more effective for our communities? So, culture, what it is, where we're what we're good at culture-wise, and what we need to where we need to grow. Well, you know, I think uh, you know, I think the definition of culture is kind of what the what the accepted norm is for a profession, right? Sure. You know, and so it's it's kind of that that the day-to-day operational perspective of what you believe your organization is. And so the question is, you know, I mean, I mean, for the fire emergency services, we all have, I mean, we've, we've been there. Um, and, um, you know, you, you get, we know what that vision is uh, and it's the vision really is, uh, everything off of a big red fire truck. Uh, it's kind of a heroic thing. Uh, I mean, we're blessed uh, in the fire and emergency services because people really love what we do, uh, even if we do it poorly. Well, and yeah, I mean, you know, how we take care of Mrs. Smith, even if we don't get the IV on the first attempt or if the house, mm-hmm. 
we're not able to put the house, you know, well, the fire eventually goes out, but if we're not able to save because it's too far gone by the time we get there, there's still this sense of, it's one of the last few noble professions, it seems like, where if you look at surveys of respected professions, it's still in the top five, typically. Well, I just uh, just did some uh, research for a text that I'm working on, and, and uh, worldwide, uh, firefighters and medics are number one. Number in one. Most, in most countries. Right. Uh, and so at like at 97, 98%, something like that. Uh, and if you rate them versus like politicians, they're like twelve percent. Yep. <laughs> so I mean, it, does, it does speak volumes to the to to what we do and what we're recognized for doing and how meaningful it is to society. Absolutely, and and again, that, that kind of plays into the culture of the organization because sometimes we let that go to our head. Because I mean, I've been on fires uh, where we burnt a house down because of the poor tactics that were utilized by the first in officer. And the next day, the family brings cookies to the firehouse. Right. Because they don't know, uh, they don't have the, the knowledge and the ability to measure how effective you were, even though you may have realized at the time, and I've, I've been on several fires as a command officer going, this isn't going well because of the things that we are doing or, or did initially. And, so, you know, I think we, unfortunately, sometimes the, the service as a whole sometimes looks at those, you know, tr the most trusted profession, and we gauge our performance based upon an emotional observation and not a observation based upon what really occurred. <laughs> and, and so we kind of have to balance that out. But uh Needless to say, I mean, we are there on every call when somebody is in need. Uh, and probably 95, 98% of the time, we do an outstanding job. And, and, and so I'm not saying that that's not warranted, but I think we have to caution ourselves that we don't become overinflated. Uh, because every time somebody gets overinflated about how good they are, their bubble usually bursts. As Brunacini would say, egos eat brains. Egos eat brains. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, so I think that as, as we look to the culture, I, I mean, what I would share with any uh, any uh, emerging uh, person that's going to be a, a future fire chief or chiefs today, and this is something that uh, I didn't do a good enough job on. I did not spend enough time in any of the organizations that I led focusing on building the culture for the future. And so I think that that's got to be a real focus. And I, you have to put, number one, your personal time in in doing that. You have to invest organizational dollars in doing that. Uh, and you have to invest in hiring the right talent as you bring people into your organization so that you're not bringing people into your organization that can't adapt, uh, that, that are not part of the culture that you're trying to build. And that's probably the number one question any chief should should ask themselves first uh, is what is the culture that you want to build for the future? What is that? Because oftentimes we'll go through these mission, vision, value right. uh, processes, and at the end of the day, nobody says, "Well, those, that's all good stuff." But what 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 what's the culture? What are what are we trying to do here? Uh, you know, what is it? What what culture do we want to have? 
it's, it's hard to it's, define and it's hard to measure isn't it it's a, it's one of those things that are it is a little hard to measure yeah you know but i mean getting back to alan brunsini i mean i mean he he identified very simply four critical issues in his culture right he said this is the this is the culture we want to build be nice right yep. be professional solve their problem survive you do those four things. We'll do these four things. We're going to do them very, very well. And that, that you know, that's kind of the four pillars of, of what he often talked about in, in the culture that he was trying to build. But I bet you if you go into 95% of the departments, you ask them about their culture between different stations and, and just different employees, you would get thousands of different answers. So you're going to hear everything. That's okay. To It's it's toxic yeah. to it's amazing you're gonna you're and you're gonna hear you know the different adjectives applied based on you know their experience within the organization right so yeah, yeah. culture plays a big role culture plays a big role in, in whether an organization is is excellent as you would like to say you know x pursuing excellence versus just mediocre right yeah i think that uh, the reality is we need to look at uh, culture as our organizational foundation for everything that we do and so if you don't build a strong foundation, uh, your, your culture is not going to last. And, and, and that every time a chief changes, then, you know, you, you go a, a different direction. That foundation uh, shouldn't shouldn't change. Right. Yeah. And so but we, we just don't invest enough time in that. So that's what I would, uh, you know, share with any any new chief or existing chief is, you know, if you really want to leave a legacy, uh, which I didn't do a good job with it, and I'll, I'll readily admit, uh, if I had it to do over again, that's why it's been my time, talent, and treasure. It's culture. Good advice. You yeah. mentioned a couple other items, inclusion and, and services, the other two, yeah. two other challenges. Yeah, inclusiveness is a, is becoming a, has become a really big issue in the, in the fire emergency services, and it's going to be even more pronounced as we move uh, into the 21st century. Uh, I mean, we're, if you look at the stats now, I mean, we're, we're about 20, 20% uh, off from uh, being a diverse organization, just from the general population and our female uh, population in our service compared to the female population in general society is, is pretty abysmal. So, uh, and we talk a lot about it, and we've been talking a lot about it, uh, but uh, we're not getting much better. And in fact, we're getting worse because the demographic of our society is changing in, in such that in, I think by 2045, there's not going to be a uh, predominant race uh, and ethnicity uh, in this country. So, I mean, actually, we think we're doing a little bit better, but actually we're declining uh, because the demographic is is changing so rapidly. So what do we do? Uh, and again, most organizations don't have inclusiveness and diversity and a representative workforce for their community as part of their strategic planning process. It's they talk about it, but it's not a real effort. So I think that that's that's got to be a real effort as 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 we move forward. Um, and uh, if not, I think. Uh, uh, departments that don't become representative of the communities that they're servicing are going to have issues. What What do you say to those that are like, you know, some of the organizations you've read, like even in the Army, some of the, the armed forces, that standards are being lowered at the altar of the diversity, inclusion, and equity? How How do you combat that so that standards aren't lowered 
to get a pool of people that that may represent the community because you'll hear people talk about that if we do that we have to change because again it's like professional sports right they're not as they're not especially diverse but again they're not serving the community the way fire departments are serving the community so how how do you balance or is, is there a balance or what's a what's an optimal way to manage that to still get the excellence you're looking for without changing the standards uh, i don't think he changes standards uh i think he changed the deployment hmm yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't want four people uh, or 10 people showing up and my house is on fire and six of them can't raise a ladder. Right. Uh, you know, that, that's right. not what we want. Uh, we want we want the people that are on the, the suppression and rescue side to be able to have those combat uh, abilities uh, that they need to have to do their job. But we can diversify our deployment. As I said earlier, 35 to 40 percent of our our calls are, are low acuity. Uh, our right. behavioral health calls now are another 10 or 15 percent. We're, we're going on overdoses that, uh, or, you know, repeat customers that it's more of a social service issue. So if we want to be reflective of, of um, our, our, our community, then diversify your deployment package. We can do things differently through with advanced providers, behavioral health specialists like Mesa's doing uh, in Arizona with their behavioral health uh, cars right. and their, you know, their social service teams. And there's a lot of different ways uh, to tackle our response other than the way we have historically done it for the last hundred years. And we that's part of the getting back to the cold cultural piece. Hundred percent, hundred percent, right? And so, the diversity that 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 catch rate, that catch word diversity isn't just about who you're bringing into the organization. It now transcends into the services we're providing are diverse as well, and the mission is changing because the needs of the community are changing. And so, you'd mentioned that as well, right? Services. What uh, what are you seeing? Right. What have you seen? What are you seeing out there? And I think we know some of the things that are taking place. But if you were to look at kind of where we've been, where we're at now, but what does the what is the in your in your view and what you've studied, what's the future hold? What what are some of the things that we're going to be doing that we're not doing right now in the fire service? Well, I think, and this gets kind of back, I guess, to the your your final point, and that's uh what are we gonna be when we grow up? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's the fire and emergency service is going to look like in 2050, 2080? Uh, and in 2050s, not that far off. So if you're beginning, if you're a new firefighter today, you're going to you're going to see that in your career, potentially. Right. Sure. sure. If you're a chief that has 15 years, you're going to be at the forefront of laying a foundation for what that's going to look like for your organization. So so. What are some of those things? Well, the reality is uh, the, the the service is going to change, and I think that for the fire and emergency services, they they should begin to to think of themselves not as only emergency responders, uh, but as uh, community public uh, health and safety uh, professionals. And I think there's a real opportunity for the fire and emergency services to bring many of these services under their tent uh, and bring them under their umbrella and start to create a larger organization that is focused on 
public safety in a different way. Mm. Uh, and uh, public safety doesn't only mean just response once an emergency happens. Public safety and public health is intervening and engaging in different ways. Like there are many communities are having very good, good luck with community paramedicine. Right. Um, uh, nurse practitioners, uh, you know, physician assistants in the field, behavioral health specialists, social service workers. Those are all things that are we we could bring under our our uh, our umbrella and create an organization that is a multifaceted organization that is actually serving the community in different ways. But the outcome for the patients, the outcome for the residents that we're serving would be much higher than it is today. And I think that's the vision that I have for the fire and emergency services as we look 30 years down the road is quit being so myopic about, you know, everything has to come out of a fire station off of a fire truck. That's one element and it's a very critical element, but open up your perspective because we could own a lot more of the, of the service pie, if you will, for our communities and have a lot more influence uh, if we would just uh, step back and, and take a, a broader view of what the impact that we can offer, because we bring great leadership uh, to our communities. And I think, yeah, yeah and, and I think that we should, I think we should, uh, you know, take steps towards providing a greater degree of leadership and helping our community be more safe, uh, not only from a response standpoint, but before before it ever gets to needing a response. That community, because you see, you hear about some of the more effective community risk reduction programs, right? Prevention departments are becoming community risk reduction mm-hmm. departments within an, with their divisions within an organization and it encompasses the fire prevention mission. But what other what other things can we prevent to, re- to reduce risk? And if they're not actually doing it, they're becoming the bridge to other agencies within yeah. a jurisdiction that can do it. So. A lot, a lot of the ones now, the nascent um, community risk reduction programs, they're doing some, but they're then they're affecting the bridge to those that have more of the behavioral health training, things like that. But what, you know, back in the day where, okay, fire was just the fire department, you know, we put go respond to fires, then it becomes EMS, then it becomes all hazards, hazardous materials, technical rescue, all those things added to our mission. If you were to look forward, what's something that we don't do now like that is a core part of what we serve the community we're we may do a little bit of it but we tend to bridge it off to or you pass it off to another member another part of the community that can can handle it better but what of some of those things what would you see in 2050 something that is a core part of the fire service and i use the fire term fire service because we know you know what that encompasses but what's something you see in 2050 that we're not doing now that will be a core part of what we're doing. Can you think, is there something that comes to mind? Well, you know, yeah, uh, that's a difficult question. Right. Uh, You know, I I, I, I think when you were kind of talking and and formulating that question, my first thought was what I see in 2050 is the Department of of Health and Public Safety. Hmm. And under that uh, is all of the elements of community risk reduction, but then it's all the other elements of the ancillary services that we see in our community, our behavioral health, our social services, our veterans administration, and all of those other things. 
that we can connect because the I think the future, if, if I if, if I could answer your question this way, I think the future is about connecting the right resources uh, to the needs of the community the first time that we go there. Because how many times do we go to the same? Key. Yeah. That key right there, that phrase right there is key to me, the first time. The first time. I mean, how many times do we go to the same patient? 30 times in a year. And then finally, one of our captains calls and goes, this person is really a frequent flyer. Can we can we figure something else out? And that happens in every organization all over the country. And so just think about if that captain went to that house with this crew and immediately identified this person needs this, this, and this resource. And that resource, was instead of being an allied organization, was part of your team. Right. And then you would just go, boom, you know, you would just make the call instead of calling the fire prevention or community risk reduction officer, you'd, you'd call that person and say, this person needs help. This is what's going on. And, and it's just part of the system. And that's when we'll really start to move the needle and make a difference in our communities is when we, we start to interconnect, whether that's under one roof or multiple roofs, but that interconnectivity so that we, when we go there, first time response, uh, we solve the problem. That's going to make a difference. Yep. That's fascinating. Okay. So as we kind of come to the end, I know you've been, you've been busy with a lot of projects. So <laughs> talk a little bit about some of those projects. Um, I know you've written a couple of textbooks. What are, what are those? And then you've, you've got a podcast called the leadership yeah. crucible. I want to hear more about both of those. Yeah. Well, I'm just finishing up uh, the second book for Jones and Bartlett. I had written the advanced, uh, this one's called the advanced uh, fire and emergency service principles, fire, fire and emergency uh, uh, principles for administration. And, uh, and had written the, the previous book was, which was kind of the focused on the two year degree program. This one's a bachelor level program level okay. program. So and that's, uh, you know, I started the first book uh, probably, let's see, 2020. Oh, geez. So I'm just finishing up the second one. So it's it's a lot of work. I mean, they're, you know, they're four or 500 pages and Tunnel. a lot of research, and a lot of editing and all that stuff. So, uh, but it's, you know, it's it's worthwhile. You, you know, you give back a little bit and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it's used in, in, you know, universities and colleges and uh, hopefully for promotional uh, pieces as well, promotional sure. exams. So, so been working on that uh, and that's been fun. I sit on a couple of boards, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I'm sitting on a local board that uh, insurance board that actually has footprints in four, four states. It's about a $2 billion operation and uh, just fascinating uh, looking at it from the, from the other side. And so I've been trying to inject uh, into that system a little bit about, um, you know, what the fire and emergency service needs are. Uh, but at the same time, just, just sitting on the board from a corporate level. Um, and that's uh, been a steep le learning curve for me, I can tell you. <laughs> you think we have acronyms. They have they have more acronyms than we do. <laughs> the insurance, it's like the military, the insurance industry, right? 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, uh, and then I'm sitting on a commercial advisory board for a company in Sweden that's doing uh, some advanced uh, drone development. So that's been, that's also been uh, interesting uh, to be part of that. And then I'm just about ready to launch uh, uh, a podcast called Leadership Crucible. And okay. uh, yeah. Tell, so, us about, tell us about that and why you named it that. Okay. Well, you know, uh, we had done a, a podcast in the, in the past. You and I did. We and, did. It was a lot of you fun. Know, I miss you it. Know, yeah, and the and the and the company that uh, was uh, supporting that podcast uh, was bought out by another company, and uh, they chose not to carry it on. So, you know, we kind of put that one to to rest uh, for a while, and then uh, had a group of people uh, reach out and and ask me if I would uh, continue with a, a podcast, and I said yes. I I'd like to do that, but I don't want to be focused just on the fire emergency services. And uh, because, you know, if you look around today, I think one of the one of the things I, I guess I've had enough time to just kind of uh, step back and look at what's what's happening in our country and in our profession and and actually in the world. But, you know, the leaders, uh, the people that are are quote leaders today, I mean, they, they often say one thing and do another. Mm. Uh, you know, they, don't, they don't walk the talk. Uh, and my concern is that the, the people that we're seeing because of their title or position in leadership positions today uh, are not really reflective of what leadership's about. And so I'm concerned about what the next generation is seeing as leadership because it's actually not. And so the leadership crucible is, is really focused on going out and finding leaders that probably a lot of people haven't heard about uh, and, you know, going through their journey and having them share their stories and, their, and the crucibles, you know, those challenges that they have faced that have helped to shape who they become uh, as leaders and sometimes has reshaped them as, as individuals. Um, and so to share their stories and, and talk about their own journeys and then kind of always ask them, well, you know, what, what would you leave to the next generations of, of leaders? And so my focus on this is uh, just to try and get, uh, you know, people that uh, from all walks of life who have, you know, had success. Some have had some significant challenges, uh, but they're doing good things. They're making a difference for people. And I want to make sure that the that our generation, uh, our next generations and our leaders today uh, that are working in organizations, whether they're the fire service or, you know, a Denny's down the street or, you know, corporate America, I, I want them to have an opportunity to at least watch somebody that's actually a true leader uh, and, and actually is doing the right things every day and leads with integrity and honesty and uh, and walks their talk and so that's that's the focus uh, that's sorely and, needed um it's sorely needed to see, to see and be inspired be inspired by by people like that and so the leadership crucible um it'll be available wherever you get your podcasts um, coming <laughs> coming very soon releasing pretty soon right i think we're actually uh, it's got yeah you can go to the leadership uh and I think it'll take you to the website. I think we're actually launching the first six episodes this week. Nice. Okay. Well, uh, be on the lookout for that. Yeah. No, we need we need that, and that's part of what you know, part of what you're leaving behind, right? I mean, you're there's no question you're a Brunasini class leader in the fire service, right? Oh, you are. Thank you. 
No, big, compared to, big compared to Alan is, is, is an honor. I don't know if well, I, I mean, I, I think <laughs> your legacy is, is showing that and, and what you're continuing to, uh, to leave us, right. You know, podcasts, textbooks, those things are not easy things. They're not easy things at all, but yet you still do them despite being semi-retired, I guess you could call this, you know, you're still, you know, contributing and, and, and giving back, right. Just like you said earlier, uh, what's excellence, right? Leaving something better than you found it. So yeah. your organizations, the fire service in general, right? And so, you know, you're, you're clearly that pursuit of excellence is, is just part of who you are, part of your DNA. And we're better for it because of it. Well, thanks. Yeah. I, you know, I've kind of tried to live by the tenant that one, you leave it better than you find it. Uh, but also you have to pay it forward to, to those that are going to lead in the future. And, you know, if we're not doing that, and, and I guess I've, I've taken that away from people like Ron Coleman and Ray Picard and others who have, and, and Alan uh, Rossini, who all took the time to, you know, sit with me, mentor me, coach me, open doors for me, uh, sometimes push me through the door, uh, you know. And that's what that's what good leaders do. I mean, that's what people that really have influence and impact do. So I'm just trying to emulate what they what what I saw that they did for me. And you know, hopefully we can do that for others as as we move forward in this journey of uh, of the leadership crucible, but you know, in in our role of as leaders within in our organization, because that's the essence of what we leave behind, you know, our legacy of leadership is the people that we leave behind to carry it forward after we're gone. Well, and the character and integrity that, that you exhibit as well. And that's part of what your podcast is, um, to t- you know, bringing in what you said, you know, real leaders, right? Because there's a lot of pseudo leaders that were out there that have the title, the title leader or the title representative, the title Senator, the title this, um, but are they leading in the sense that how you've defined what true leadership really is? And so I look forward to listening listening and, and watching um, that and, and, and just being better for it, right? Making sure those kind of things help you refocus your energies too and your, your mindset when things get challenging because things will get challenging. If you're pursuing anything of excellence, they will get hard. And yeah. that resilience there and you know, being able to overcome it, it's, 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 uh, it's something that you need some of those, those inspiring stories to kind of sometimes carry you over the hump a little bit. Yeah, and and understand that you know people have other people have faced challenges and and actually survived the survived the journey, right? And uh, yeah, and and so and they, and they do. I mean, we we've all had those in our lives, and you know, and we'll continue to have them. And uh, you know, you you meet them, and you know, hopefully overcome them and, and get better for it. And but. Uh, but you know, sometimes we one of the things we say on on the crucible is that you know experience is is the best teacher, but only if you share it. Only if you share it. <laughs> if you don't share it, uh, then it doesn't it doesn't do anything. You have the don't experience. Be, don't be you stingy. You might be a little better. Don't be stingy with your experiences. No, no. I mean, if we did that in the fire service, we would we would not tell anybody about what we learned from the last fire or the last emergency we were on, right? Yeah. I mean, we would be, we would be injuring and killing, you know, firefighters at a much higher rate than we are now if we did that. And why aren't we doing that on the leadership side? 
why aren't we sharing those those insights in a, in a broader sense? So that's really kind of the effort. Uh, we'll see where it goes. We like I say, we'll have we've got uh, we've got enough funding for twenty five uh, right. segments. So that'll take us through the end of the year, and then we're, we're going to see if we can uh, raise a little money to continue. And uh, you know, it's not we're not in it to make money. We're just in it to make a difference. That's awesome. Well, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you for your leadership. Um, thank you for being a friend, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to you, and and I know our paths will uh, will cross again in the not too distant future, as, as they seem to have been recently. So, yeah, yeah. look forward to it. All right, thanks, All right. Chief Brugman. All right, thank you.